Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Earth News Interviews. My name is Catherine, and I'll be your host for today. So today we have another special episode with a roundtable format. Um, in STEM, especially in the geosciences, there's an unproportional representation in gender and ethnicity. In today's roundtable, we will discuss DEI, um, aka diversity, equity, and inclusion issues, specifically in geoscience research. Um, please note that we'll say DEI for short from now on um, for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, so before we introduce our guests, I do understand that DEI um, can be a tricky and sensitive topic. So we really appreciate your time and agreeing to do this with us. Um, guests, if you could, when I introduce you, um, could you please briefly remind our viewers of your research focus um, and then maybe give us like a little insight on why you are passionate about DEI. Um, so first we have Tasca, um, Professor Tasca Santimeno. Tasca is an assistant professor at the Department of Earth Sciences at U of T and a structural geologist by training. Welcome, Tasca. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Catherine, for having me. Um, yes, I am a structural geologist, and my research interest is uh, large-scale or continental-scale tectonics. So most of my research focuses on uh, how mountain ranges are formed and how they evolve over time. Uh, with respect to DEI, um, as a female of South Asian or Indian ethnicity, um, I would say I'm more conscious uh, about these issues and I believe it's very important to address them and this is the only way we can uh, work towards a, an improvement. Awesome, thank you. We're, we're excited to have you on this podcast for the first time. Thank you. And next is Sophia Zamaria. Sophia is a PhD student in our department and also it's the first time on our podcast. Um, thanks for joining us today, Sophia. Yep, thanks for having me, Catherine. And thanks to you, Asa, for doing um, a podcast episode on this very important issue. Um, it's, it's awesome to see that everyone's involved in trying to make the issue of diversity and equity and inclusion um, more talked about in our department. So kudos to you and you, Asa. Um, like Catherine said, I'm a PhD candidate here in Earth Sciences. Um, I'm more looking at environmental geosciences, specifically uh, more towards the hydrology and paleoenvironmental science realm of the Earth Sciences. Um, so what I look at is um, anthropogenic impact on a watershed just off the shores of Lake Erie um, on the Canadian side. Um, I look at how humans have impacted float regime and phosphorus loading over the past 200 years and also projecting 100 years into the future uh, using a combination of watershed modeling as well as paleoenvironmental methods. Um, as for diversity um, and inclusion, why I'm passionate about it, aside from just benefiting science and society as a whole by including all of our members, I think just at its, at its core, everyone no matter what background they come from, should have equal access um, to science. And, you know, I think we can all agree we're very passionate about science here in the department and improving, um, improving society and the life of others. And everyone should be involved with that at its core. Awesome. Thank you, Sophia. And next is another fellow PhD candidate, David. Um, who's also a first-timer on our podcast. Welcome, David. Hi, hello, thank you. So I am David S. Um, uh, I am a biogeochemist, so my area of focus is looking into how we can use cyanobacteria that facilitate the precipitation of minerals in industrial applications. So for example, one recent project I looked into is adding cyanobacteria into uh, mortar for construction purposes and seeing how that affects the mechanical and permeability properties of a construction material. In terms of DEI, I am passionate about that because coming into this field, I didn't really look, uh, I didn't really see anyone who looks like myself or in Ontario at least. I, I'm a Latino and I'm an out and proud gay man. And I noticed that there wasn't any areas or, or specifically people who had the similar experience that I have 
who could potentially act as mentors or show representation in this field. Uh, so for myself, I decided that if I couldn't find that representation, that I would be that representation for myself and for any emerging uh, student or, or person who's interested in this field, who feels underrepresented or like this field may not be for them. Uh, as well as I'd like to echo both Sophia and Tasca's points. Those were fantastic reasons for being passionate about DEI. It's for everyone. And like they say, a rising tide lifts all boats. That's awesome. Thank you, David. And thank, thank yeah, thank you. Um, and now since um, the guests have introduced themselves, we'll now get into the paper summary. So uh, today our discussion will be centered, but not limited to two publications on the topic of DEI um, in geoscience and also science as a whole. Um, so the first one we are discussing today focuses on stereotypes and gender inequality in STEM. The title is Gender Representation Cues, Labels of Hard and Soft Sciences, and it's published by a group of psychologists um, at Indiana University in 2021. Um, in this paper, the, art, the authors show that um, fields with greater representation of women are labeled as soft sciences, and as a consequence, the soft sciences are devalued. Um, this paper defines the hard sciences as um, natural or physical sciences, including physics, chemistry, biology, computer science, and it's not described in this paper, but um, geoscience also falls into this realm. The soft sciences are, for example, um, psychology. Um, the soft sciences are subjective, um, meaning that it's like kind of influenced by one's opinions whereas the hard sciences are objective, um, so not being influenced by one's opinions. Um, some stereotypes this paper discusses includes um, the first one, which is um, women continuing to be underrepresented in STEM despite advocacy to increase female participation in STEM educational and career paths. Um, the second one, um, traits attributed to scientists overlap with traits attributed to men rather than traits given to women, meaning that STEM is a more masculine um, discipline. And the third one, when students were asked to draw a scientist, um, students were more likely to draw a male scientist rather than a female scientist. Um, and these subtle stereotypes um, are likely to divert women's interest in STEM, although they're not like talked about very often. Um, the second article is a comment piece written by um, Dr. Rachel Bernard and Dr. Emily Cooperdock. The title is No Progress on Diversity in 40 Years, and it was published on Nature Geoscience back in 2018. Um, in this paper, the authors argue that there is a lack of racial and ethnic diversity in the geosciences, um, so much so that the geosciences are actually the least diverse of all STEM disciplines, which is kind of surprising um, to me. This racial and ethnic diversity imbalance only worsens from climbing the ranks in academia. So from your bachelor's degree level all the way up to your doctorate level. Um, while significant improvements have been done to address the gender imbalance among PhD recipients, um, less improvements have been done to address the racial diversity issue. As recently as 2012, scientists from underrepresented uh, minorities consisted of only 3.8% of tenured or tenure track faculty in top 100 earth sciences departments. When the authors combined the subdisciplines of ocean, atmosphere, and earth sciences, they found that the vast majority of PhDs were awarded to uh, students who identified as non-Hispanic white people. Um, notably, 85% in 2016 and 86% of all of the years the survey was conducted. And over the, for, the past uh, the 40 years the data was collected, 
the representation of underrepresented minority students have more or less um, remained constant, um, which is like pretty devastating to, to hear um, and see. Um, this paper defined underrepresented minorities as um, American Indian or Alaska Natives, Black or African Americans, and Hispanic or Latino groups. Um, the authors also discussed what we can do to address these issues. And the three main suggestions includes um, the first one, which is to establish um, more diversity fellowships to attract and retain graduate students. Um, the second one, which is to implement transition programming um, that partner minority serving institutions with uh, research universities through collaborative research. And the third one being that large geoscience organizations um, should provide specific funding for uh, minority undergraduate and graduate students to attend their conferences and departments and universities should provide funding for their students and faculty, um, regardless of race, to attend national minority serving conferences. Um, so both of these articles call for an open and honest conversation about current DEI issues and how we can amend them to foster a more diverse um, geosciences and STEM community as a whole. So now let's start um, with that conversation. And um, we'll now have a roundtable discussion slash conversation type thing. Um, so I guess I'll first ask a question. Um, Sophia, have you personally faced any barriers in terms of um, DEI in your academic journey as an earth scientist? And have these stereotypes, um, have the stereotypes discussed in the first paper? of like hard and soft sciences affected your academic journey. And also feel free to jump in all of you guys to like after, yeah. Sure, thanks for the question, Catherine. Um, it's really interesting this paper about um, hard science versus soft science. And it's actually something that I am guilty of perpetuating myself. Um, I think till very recently, like even in the course I just TA'd uh, this, this past fall, I, I call myself someone that's not a hard geologist. So I use that terminology and it wasn't until really thinking more about it and reading this paper that maybe I should shift um, the terminology I use. Um, because by, by, by calling myself a hard geologist, I, I, my intent was to say that I am not, um, a geologist that was, I'm not, I haven't been trained in geology in the same way others in the department have. My focus is more on hydrology or physical geography, which I actually myself labeled a softer science. So I really appreciate reading this paper and actually myself learning about that bias and trying to shift it away. Um, so this was a great opportunity to learn more about that. Um, and in terms of barriers, I'm, I'm very privileged to be a white woman in this department. So even though I am a woman, I don't think I have faced as many barriers as other visible minorities might have. Um, and I actually, the most, the most stereotyping or bias that I faced was actually in my undergrad. Once I got to higher education, once I passed through to my master's and my PhD, I actually noticed less and less of it. Um, but in my undergrad, I remember my, my most prominent memory of, of facing a stereotype was when I took, I was, I did my undergrad in physical geography, not earth sciences. Um, and as part of that degree, um, I took a field course, a third year field course where we went out to Quebec, um, and, and we learned all these different sorts of field methods, um, and how to use instruments in the field. And one of these instruments that we learned was a tree auger. So um, it's, it's a device that you screw into a tree and it extracts a tree core from any tree. Um, and it, it, it can be laborious just because you have to press and drill into the tree by hand. Um, so we were separated into groups and I was in a group with uh, three other males um, and we all had a turn at using this uh, tree auger device to extract a core for analysis later. So the three, uh, my three colleagues that were men went before me um, and screwed in the auger. 
um, and then it was my turn. Um, and the professor that was supervising when I started to do this was, oh, look, at, said, oh, look, everyone, um, Sophia wants a photo op. So, you know, I was oh there. Goodness. Yeah, I was oh, there no. <laughs> to learn how to use this instrument, um, which is something that is commonly used in paleo environmental sciences, which I, I, I am a part of right now in my PhD. And to just diminish that for me, you know, wanting to genuinely learn how to use this instrument and, you know, learn field methods, to have that diminish to me just wanting a photo op because I'm a woman and because I'm not as strong as my male colleagues, that, that made a lasting impact on me. Um, so that's just one example for me. Yeah, I can imagine, like, <laughs> also, especially since it's a professor who had said that to you and not like one of your fellow peers yeah. um that's yeah that that is pretty sad so I've had the opposite experience um as a, as a female I was uh I've been I guess I've been uh, uh blessed that I was always lifted up um so I used to work for a mining company up in Sudbury and there was a project where um we had to go, it was, a, I had to take on this project because the original project geologist, uh, there was a medical emergency and he couldn't take on this project. And he had been working on the project for quite a while. So he basically gave me all the files, what needed to be done. And the project was, it was towards the end of the project. Um, the project was a, a drilling and geophysical survey uh, in the middle of winter on a frozen lake. And so we had to uh, help the geophysical company set up the survey, um, set up their, their loops, the geophysical loops, and then also monitor that you know, these loops were not interrupted because there were also uh, fishing huts on the lake. And so there was also this community that was um, active uh, on the lake. So there were you know, snowmobiles and, and trucks on the lake. And so I, I had no experience um, first with the Canadian winter or how to move about on a frozen lake. Um, and I had this team of nine geologists, all male. And so the first thing I said was, I have no experience. You guys have to help me out. And they came, they supported me so well that exactly, uh, so in terms of uh, the one big, um, barrier was as a female, I don't have the physical strength that a male has, or some of the males had. And uh, so they taught me how to use my strength to, for example, fix equipment or change a tire on a on a truck. So they said, you know, if you're if you're stuck, just, you know, stand on the <laughs> on the on the crowbar or stand on if you want to lift something. Um, so so they actually taught me. So if you're cutting uh, rocks with a rock saw, um, put your knees on the rock saw to pull the, the, the chain. And so all these little things, so they actually lifted me up, but I can't, I did uh, see other, I did notice other females who experienced the same thing you did, Sophia, but just because they were female or because uh, they didn't have the, the strength. Um, and some of them happened to be professors who said, oh, you know, I'll show you how to break a rock. You're not doing it correctly. Um, so instead of putting them down, they can simply, um, you know, um, teach as though there was no difference in gender uh, or there was no difference. It could be sometimes it could be you're just not used to it. It could be different ethnicities, too. Um, it could be different types of rocks. Maybe you you studied in a soft or sediment uh, environment or a soft rock environment. Um, so these barriers, um, unknowingly or subconsciously, they do uh, come up. Yeah, those are really great points. Um, also, for, I guess, like what Sophia was saying about how we do label like the geosciences as like hard rock or soft rock. Um, I'm noticing that in my hard rock classes, there's actually more females than males, maybe because my classes are pretty small like nine people there it's not a great representative like sample size of you know like the greater geosciences community um but yeah in my um igneous petrology class 
I, I think there is in a class of nine um, students, there's like two males and then the rest of us are females, which is uh, really great to see. But then I know that in the workforce, it's the opposite. There's a lot more males than females in the workforce. And we, speaking of U of T, we'll go on to our next question. Um, so U of T is proud um, to educate so many international students, um, thereby hopefully increasing the ethnic diversity in STEM. Um, in, in institutions where you have either worked, um, done research at, or studied at, have you noticed an increase in ethnic diversity um, at U of T's Earth Sciences Department? Wait, I don't think that question makes sense. Hold on. <laughs> I'll, I'll rephrase that. Have you noticed an increase in ethnic diversity in um, U of T's Earth Sciences Department compared to other institutions where you have worked, done research, or studied at? When you're editing, cut this part out. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, I guess, David, would you like to give this a shot? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Well, I, I did my undergrad at McMaster University in Hamilton, and then I did my master's degree in U of T Scarborough, and then here at the Earth Science Department, I moved over here, uh, downtown Toronto, but my lab is in Scarborough, so I still have a lot of uh, traffic back and forth, but I think I'm very happy and very proud to say that from all of my experiences, I have seen a large shift in the demographics. So in my undergrad, there were a lot of uh, ethnically diverse people there and seeing it specifically within STEM was very exciting and very enlightening. There was a lot of support and uplifting of uh, different ethnic individuals. Uh, there were groups and clubs that were geared towards supporting and uh, uplifting and putting forth these people into their fields. Uh, and it was really great to see that trend continue as I went up in, uh, in academia, because uh, as some of these studies have said previously, as you move up, oftentimes you get this leaky pipeline where you lose a lot of individuals, uh, either in a, in a gender loss or in a, a diversity loss through ethnicity. Uh, so it was just very happy to see this very slow but sure shift in tides of seeing new and improved representation for the next cohort of scientists. So that, that's my experience, a very positive, uh, very positive take on this. Awesome, that's really cool. I read this one article um, for the, um, the New Year's episode actually, and it was about uh, DEI in the geochemistry community. Um, so like a little more niche than geosciences. And um, they, the paper that I had read, it had said that um, in, in the UK, around like only 9% of chemistry professors were, were female. And that statistic really, like I thought that was really surprising. I think that um, it's really great that I guess like U of T is making um, a conscious decision to, you know, like hire more, a more diverse faculty. Um, like I've had um, a range of both female and male professors um, who are, who are really great mentors. So I'm really thankful for that. Fantastic, though I do wanna make one more comment on this topic. Although in terms of visible um, diversity, it's something that is improving. Uh, things like gender and sexuality diversity, that's something that perhaps I have seen a lot of lack of. And also in terms of uh, accessibility, in terms of uh, our, our uh, people who are less able, who we don't necessarily see in the field. So. Although in some areas we are improving and it's great, other areas do still need a lot of work in STEM overall. Uh, and we, when we talk about these topics, we tend to often forget uh, and leave behind these groups. So uh, I, I think it is important to also recognize the lacks and the areas that still need to improve beyond visible diversity. And so it's, that, that's important as well. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so we had a, um, like a round table discussion, I think it was last year, where we talked about um, accessibility in 
specifically the field courses, because like in geosciences, there are um, field courses to, to take to like get your degree. Um, and a lot of points were risen um, from that, like especially around like even like mental health, um, also your, your culture um, when it comes to field courses. And I thought that was like really eye-opening. Yeah, that's a great point you make, Catherine. I think field courses are a huge barrier to some people, um, especially to people who aren't able-bodied or who have mental health issues. Um, and these issues, like the issues of accessibility and of mental health and wellness are intricately tied to issues of diversity, inclusion, and equity. Um, so I think it's really important that we take an interdisciplinary approach when we're talking about these issues um, and not just tackle diversity at its face, but also, you know, also incorporate and implement actual tangible methods of how we can get at the core root of these problems. And as both of these papers addressed, tackling these barriers that, um, that, disproportionately affect minority groups, both visible and invisible, is a great first step. Yeah, I agree with that. Also, I'm really glad to see that there are like so many um, like little steps being taken to address this issue in the geosciences. So that's that's really great to see. Um, our next question is an interesting one. Um, so describe how your earth sciences career has been enhanced by exposure to diverse people, places, or experiences. Um, Tasca, did you want to tackle this? Sure. Um, so I've, um, I've worked in the mining industry for a couple of years, um, and then I did research in South America. Uh, I did field work there and I also did my master. I did my master's at McMaster, uh, but I did my field work in South America. Um, and then I did, I went on to do a, a PhD in Germany. And so while I was there, I got to uh, take a lot of different workshops, uh, short courses, field courses around Europe. And the one thing that I noticed very quickly uh, was that there was a very big, uh, of course, there are different cultures and um, every culture works differently. Um, they have different work ethics. Um, so for example, I, I, was, my, I was in Germany. Um, my, my PhD was based in Germany, uh, but I had a supervisor in Italy. And so the, the way we worked, the working hours, uh, the breaks we took, the number of cappuccinos uh, all differed <laughs> between Germany and, and Italy. But um, the productivity was the same. Both, uh, both areas, we were both labs uh, and both lab settings, we were, we were very productive. Um, there were different ways of thinking. Um, and when we came together, when all these different uh, ethnicities or um, ways of thinking or different personalities came together, um, the end result was very, very fruitful. Uh, the discussions were very, we went on for hours simply discussing science and it was great because nobody saw, um, nobody saw anyone's sort of um, um, gender or uh, ethnicity or um, even uh, knowledge background. Everybody brought something to the table in terms of uh, in, and everyone worked towards solving um, one problem. Um, so this was great for me uh, from an academic standpoint. And also personally, I learned a lot um, from all these diverse experiences. And I think this is one of the key reasons why we should address um, diversity, inclusion, and, and inequality, um, to bring together a more, uh, a better environment and also for the sake of science, can you imagine how um, the, all the different inventions, all the different breakthroughs we may, we may come across just because we have all these different uh, ways of thinking and problem solving. That's really cool. It's really interesting that you did um, all of your like academia or a lot of your academia things in like Europe and also South America. Did you ever have um, like a language barrier Oh yes, yeah. <laughs> so um, 
when I was in, uh, so in Germany, I did take, I was there for four years and I, I did take German lessons and language played a big role. I, I realized that after I took the, the German uh, lessons that language actually helps you understand the culture better. Um, so I was, um, I got over the cultural differences and the, uh, uh, the change uh, or the culture shock uh, over time. Um, in South America, I actually worked, I spent a lot of time in the mountains, in the Puna Plateau and uh, in the, or in mainly in, along the Eastern Cordillera in Argentina. And so I didn't spend too much time in the, in the cities where Spanish was spoken, but in the mountains, it was mostly Quechua. And so there was, I didn't know anything and everything was based on sign language. And the interesting thing was they would always, they saw me and they thought, okay, she looks like one of us, but she doesn't know the language. Why is that? <laughs> so I would basically, everything was pointing and half Spanish and yeah, so it was, but we still got along and we still, I was still able to communicate, yeah. Yeah, I think that pointing works, especially if you're like in, in a new country and you don't really know the language. Like, for example, if you have a menu, if you like point to the item, that, that definitely does work. And a smile always helps. <laughs> yeah. So people know that you're friendly. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'd like to build off of Tasca's previous point, um, just about how different incorporating diverse cultures and labs from different communities can help us get creative solutions. Um, I really agree with that. I think at its core, all science, whether it's the geosciences or physics or biology, I think at its core, all science um, is really dedicated to improving the quality of life and society as a whole. Um, I think that's its, you know, its core purpose. But how can we improve society as a whole if we don't have those different viewpoints, if we don't incorporate diverse viewpoints from all sorts of different people? Um, you know, we, we, at UT, as, as much progress as we had, have made, we're still focused on a very white and Eurocentric viewpoint. And I remember um, in one of my undergraduate courses, I think it was a biogeography course, it was a third year course, we were talking about climate change and how important it is for nations to really um, focus, have climate change as one of the forefronts of, um, of what they, they needed to fix or what they needed to spend funding on. And I distinctly remember there was a fellow student from the Philippines that said, well, that's all fine and great, but we have to focus on other more important issues in our country than climate change. And even having diverse members in, in my lab meetings and my lab group, you, you learn so much about how Eurocentric, you know, coming as a, as a white Canadian with a European background attending UT, how focused I am, and I'm sure other people are, on this sort of Western viewpoint of, yes, climate change is important and we need to do everything we can to solve it. And that's not to say that it, it, climate change isn't important or to diminish it, but you learn when you incorporate different viewpoints from people from other nations and cultures, you, you have to learn creative solutions of how to deal with these problems because not every, everybody has the resources that our countries have. Um, so I think it's really important if we're going to benefit society as a whole, we need to hear these different viewpoints and we need to work together to come up with creative solutions um, to use our science for good for everyone. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, I, I actually TA an environmental assessment course. And one concept that we do learn there is uh, when developing a solution or when investigating solutions that are proposed, you have to ask the stakeholders. And in terms of living on the planet, everyone on the planet is a stakeholder to the future of the planet. Uh, and so because of that, it's important to ask everybody how these solutions impact them. And it, that comes from a diverse viewpoint as well, because when you ask multiple people uh, from different backgrounds with different knowledge bases, how the solution should adjust or how we should manage or uh, actually apply these solutions, you get answers to try and help streamline. At the end of the day, maybe not everyone will be satisfied, 
but it at least helps to give a more robust and a more sustainable and equitable solution when everyone is involved. Yeah, and just, oh, sorry, Catherine. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, like, I think also it's important to shift the narrative when we're looking at questions like this. So how, how, how has diversity impacted us and how does it improve science? That's important, but I also think it's important to change the narrative just to be like, diversity matters. It shouldn't have to be justified. Everyone is able and entitled to participate in science and there doesn't have to be a justifiable reason. Um, so I think it's important to have that disclaimer when discussing questions like this, because we shouldn't have to justify, oh, well, having a whole bunch of diverse people will inevitably improve science. Yes, it will, but also these people, everyone should have access to science and there shouldn't be barriers or justifications to include them. Yeah, I definitely agree with all of those points. Um, I also think that it's pretty important to amplify um, voices of those people who maybe doesn't have um, like much of an opportunity or much of a say in what goes on in our society. Um, so for example, this past summer, I worked for a small um, geological exploration company. Um, it was based in Northern Ontario. And in that area, there's a larger population of indigenous peoples than um, Southern Ontario. And I had learned a lot about the culture just from being um, immersed with them. Also, I had learned that um, there's a federal law that uh, mining companies need to follow um, to like hire a quota of indigenous peoples. Um, or else they will get fined. So I thought that was pretty interesting that I didn't know before. Um, our next question, as both articles had discussed, there is a gender gap in geosciences. Um, other than stereotypes, what other factors exist, which may be barriers um, to women or everyone in, in earth sciences? And we'll start with uh, Sophia. Yeah, um, I think stereotypes are definitely a huge factor as, as these papers pointed out. Um, I'll give another obvious one and that's um, the gender wage gap or the gender pay gap. Um, you know, I think this could be a whole other podcast episode, but just briefly put, <laughs> if a family decides to have a child, let's say there are two, the two parents, a female and a male, um, are, are employed within the Department of Earth Sciences as professors, and they choose to start a family. The way our current system is set up is that the male will continue to work and the female will go on mat leave. Um, in doing so, the female forfeits, you know, a, about a year of her career, while the male still is able to go to work and still gets that experience and funding, etc while the female is set back just because they decide to start a family. So I think, you know, systemically, which is farther than our earth science department, having equal pat leave and mat leave and having, having um, ways to equalize a woman's experience um, with, that, with the years that are lost to taking care of a family, I think that's an important way to, uh, an important barrier to address. That's just one of many. So I think there is, um, there is, there has been a change to to that. So, for example, the the tenure track, um, a professor um, after a certain number of years is put for review, and if they had a child, if female professors had a child, uh, that is actually taken into um, that is actually taken into consideration in the tenure review process. So they are, and I, I'm not sure how it is taken into or what um, sort of criteria or point system or um, let's say criteria uh, is looked at when this is taken into review, but I, I do know that it is taken into review, but you make an important point. So if the female, um, there is a lot of, um, there is a lot of, a uh, lot more than simply uh, a break for the female, but also, uh, and a lot of females, a lot of female professors try to work during their 
iPad leave because they see this sort of not as a mat leave, but more as a sabbatical where it is they can still conduct. Um, but you also have to think about what the female is going through. Uh, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs in their put in their basic physical body, uh, hormonal changes, uh, mood changes. Um, and this is not addressed. Um, it's not, you know, everyone thinks, oh, she had a baby, she must be healthy, that's great. But there is a lot of changes that go through. And to conduct research, you need to be uh, in a quiet, calm place for, for quite some hours to at least get a paragraph down. <laughs> and you know this, everyone who's, who writes or is in the writing process um, knows this. Um, the other thing is that females, uh, by nature, they are nurturers. And so exactly, so what, if this is exactly uh, what Sophia mentioned, if there is a wage gap, um, and let's say the female or the, the couple, um, if, the, if the partner's uh, career doesn't support um, this, you know, that they have a, a child or that the female can stay home and nurture, then if she has to choose between a career and her child, because she is by nature a, uh, by nature a nurturer, she may decide to choose her child as opposed to her career. Um, or she might, and it doesn't mean that she, you know, gives up her career, but it might mean that she puts more focus and more of her attention towards the child as opposed to the career. Um, but if she has support, um, you know, uh, external support or family support, or even simply daycare, or um, then this is helpful. So it, it yeah, it depends on it, the, the, there is, a, you know, it's, it is different for, for females, and this should be taken into consideration. Very important points, very important. And myself, as a, as a male, I can't necessarily speak to that experience. Uh, but, uh, and I don't mean to deviate from the conversation either, but it's very interesting because as a society, we're also moving beyond viewing gender as just a binary. And although it is the, uh, the, the standard and currently how we are functioning as a society, these developments are important where we need to make sure that everyone is able to adjust, to be able to uh, you know, take care of, of children, take care of, uh, of adaptations to their lives, uh, specifically within our understanding of gender. But as we move beyond that, uh, it's also important to acknowledge individuals who might not necessarily identify with both male or female and how that fits with the structure of uh, who's involved in geosciences as well. Myself, uh, I, I have a friend, an individual who, uh, who works as a geoscientist, and they recently um, expressed a discomfort with this idea that they are unable to really express themselves or, you know, show their experience as a non-binary individual because of this current paradigm of either or. And so I think not only understanding the, uh, the difficulties and the barriers that those who do identify as a certain gender experience, but those who move beyond that binary and how they fit into our, our current paradigm as well. I, I myself identify as he, him. Uh, I identify as a male. But it's important to consider the experiences of those who are moving beyond this binary as well. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I wonder if those individuals who identify as non-binary, if they um, are fall victim to the like the gender wage gap, you know. Um, so back in the summer, um, my field partner and I were both female. Um, and there were four student geologists, and we all had the same title. It was um, all four of us were student geologists, and the two of us did get paid less than the uh, male student geologist who was there. Um, we had we had like all of the same um, qualifications. Like it was all our first field jobs, um, and also we like basically took the same courses. Like I was just. Um, a year or two younger than them. And 
we didn't find out really until like one of the last days we were just like randomly talking about how much we got paid. And I guess it's pretty taboo to like talk about how much you get paid. So we haven't really talked about it since then. Um, but yeah, that was that that was a little bit surprising, but we didn't really do anything because it was like the end of our contract. Um, but yeah, I, I did find that um, a little bit interesting. Sorry you had to go through that, Catherine. That's awful. Yeah, I know. But overall, it was a, it, it was a great experience other than that. Um, so our next question is about um, the first article. So the authors of the first article write, um, the, present, the present research highlights um, how stereotypes about women's STEM competency may continue to impact um, science even as women's participation in STEM increases. Um, STEM fields with a high percentage of women may be evaluated through the lens of gender stereotypes with consequences for the general public's perception of those fields. Um, to what extent do you agree or disagree with this statement? Um, we'll go with Tasca. Um, so I think this is, um... Yes, I do. I do agree with the statement, and I I, I feel that is very true in among the general public. Uh, more true in the general public than among, um, let's say, a university or academic setting. Um, so, and and this is we see this actually everywhere. So there's this the famous movie Meet the Fockers, and Ben Stiller's character is is a nurse. And people think that he is a nurse because he didn't get a high enough MCAT score to be a doctor. And well, in, in reality, but uh, actually he did get the highest MCAT score and he chose to be a doctor. Uh, he chose to be a nurse. And of course, nursing, and this is also addressed in the, in the article, a nurse is more of a female dominated uh, or female field. Um, whereas I think they mentioned a dentist is a, a male field, a male field or male science. Um, so this is something that is uh, portrayed in sort of in general. Um, uh, also, I remember once going to a, I gave a talk at a private elementary school and um, I was introduced as a, a geologist or a geologist was coming to give a talk about her career. And the principal came up to me uh, and he said, you know, it's really great that our students see that, a, that our see, it's really great that our students see a female geologist. And I didn't realize that, um, that they thought maybe geology was more of a male field. Um, so this is very common in the uh, in amongst the public general public, um, and I think this is uh, the one or one way we can sort of remove this this thought uh, is to educate our young or to you know introduce them to outreach programs or to introduce them to um, science fairs where they see female uh, PhD students where they see female undergraduate students. Um, where they see females, you know, uh, female in the mining business. Uh, I remember up in Sudbury, there were posters where females were on the posters because they wanted to promote that, hey, you know, females are, should also join the, the uh, Laurentian mining program or the, uh, for mining jobs or summer jobs and so on. So it is common. I feel it's common more in the general public than uh, in, in academia or in, a, in an institutional setting. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that's one of the findings of this paper that the general public had more of a, that perception that women had less competency or were more associated with the so-called soft sciences. Um, and I echo Tasca's point that I think education and outreach are a huge, a huge part of that. Um, I think something that could really be done better, um, especially in our public uh, education system, is just shedding light on all of the historical women scientists that have made such great contributions to science. Like I didn't learn about um, female scientists like Marie Curie 
and Marie Tharp until I was probably in my third year of undergrad. Um, Marie Tharp being one of the female scientists who produced the very first the, the very first map of the bathymetry of the Atlantic Ocean. Um, but we learned so much about male scientists. I mean, Rutherford um, and all sorts of all sorts of male scientists that have made contributions to our field. I remember learning about that in grade nine science. So it's it's no wonder that the public sees science as a male dominated field. I think we just really need to do a better job as educators um, shedding light on female scientists who have existed throughout history. We just we just don't look at them. Yeah, I definitely agree with the outreach point. So when I was um, in high school, my high school was like focused on STEM and it was like an equal um, male to female ratio, which was pretty good. Um, and my first, um, the first uh, DEI outreach event that I was, that like had an impact on me, um, it was in my 12th grade and somebody had um, come to give us a workshop on implicit bias. And we were, um, since we were all um, like science people, um, we were asked to name a scientist who looked like us. And I like did not know a female Asian scientist that I could name. Um, yeah, so that was like, I think that really opened my eyes to the um, lack of diversity and of like ethnicity and um, gender in the sciences. Um, our next question is on our second paper. Um, so the second paper, the main theme is shedding light on the lack of racial and ethnic individuals in the geosciences. Um, this can be done through advocacy. Um, have you been involved in any initiatives to promote diversity, equity, and inclusion in the geosciences or STEM as a whole? And we'll go with uh, David. Uh, for sure. So, I mean, the most obvious ones, I suppose, are myself being the uh, DIA, the Diversity, Inclusion, and Acceptance Coordinator for the Association of, you know, AGES. Um, and the other one is uh, I'm also a member of the Ready Committee, uh, so the Reconciliation, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. Uh, and both of those, it's been very nice to see initiatives taken on within the department to really try and improve and address these gaps that are, you know, have been existing for a long time. But even outside of that, I believe that we as individuals beyond just the department, beyond just our work uh, in our everyday lives, we should continue to strive to see where we can address these gaps. Uh, one of my uh, friends that I met from my master's program, uh, she's currently a member of the, uh, the professional geologist at the Council of Professional Geologists of Ontario. And she's a member of their diversity council. And currently her and I have been discussing um, opportunities and how we can get more visibility and more representation for LGBTQ plus individuals in the geosciences. Uh, and so we've been having discussions with the, the council and seeing, you know, we've seen support for these kinds of initiatives, but actually having ground uh, little uh, grassroots movements to get these things moving, it's difficult. So we're in talks of seeing how we can develop a group for networking for LGBTQ plus individuals in geosciences. So that's something that on the side, it's going you know, little baby steps to get where, where we want to go, but really just taking time to put forth a step in aspects outside of our lives to really help, again, a rising tide lifts all boats to just try and address these issues beyond just within our daily lives. Yeah, that's really great. It's really great that you're doing a lot of work around the LGBTQ community, um, especially because I think a lot of the um, the outreach in geosciences, at least at U of T, I think it, they focus more on like the racial diversity. Um, so, for example, um, the Earth Sciences Department, where we're um, doing, we're part of Pursue STEM, which um, it's a high school program that targets um, like black high school students. And um, and yeah, that's that's like an example of, of something, I guess, that the Earth Sciences Department is doing. Um, does anybody else 
have um, anything that they're doing. So I know the, the Earth Science Department uh, gets involved in a lot of outreach whenever they can. And, and Karen Gora is, is great at this. She sort of organizes and gets PhD students and faculty and undergrads involved. Um, and as part of this, I, um, I volunteer or I am a mentor to a, uh, a young 12-year-old. Uh, um, she is uh, part of, this is a mentorship that is part of the Girls System program. And, um, and it's great because some of, and I actually learn more from her than, than, I, than she, I feel she learns from me because uh, the, the ideas that she comes up with and every year, so this is our second year together and every year she joins the North York Science Fair. And um, the, the things that she tells me and the things that they discuss in, in class or in school, in her elementary school, uh, it's, it's really quite, um, quite eye-opening and also to see what they are doing so that I have an idea of how I can address, um, you know, just issues of uh, uh, diversity or uh, like David said, um, non-binary um, issues in the classroom. Um, and then the other thing that I try to do is give talks uh, whenever I can outside the uh, um, outside the university at, at schools or elementary schools or high schools, um, just to also to bring awareness to to the geoscience, what we do as a geologist, um, a lot of people, and I'm sure you've heard this too, a lot of people think, in, and this is the general public, a lot of people think that geology and geography is the same. Um, but they are very different and both of them are very important sciences. Um, and it's important to let students know that, uh, let students know what, we can, what they can do as career paths. Uh, because geology is actually not introduced in some high schools until, um, so in some high schools they are not introduced at all or it's not introduced until grade 12. Um, and it's an elective. By then, the student wants has to probably take uh, more uh, or has to take the um, compulsory courses like the sciences and the uh, and the maths to get if they want to get into a science program at university. So it's sort of it is sort of pushed to the back. Um, so it's important to bring this awareness to 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 students in at uh, at the elementary and high school level. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. So I remember when I was in high school, I actually like had no exposure to earth sciences or like geology. Actually, I think my only one was ninth grade um, geography where we talked about like sedimentary igneous metamorphic rocks. That was literally it until I took my first earth sciences course, my second semester of first year. And I was like, wow, I had no clue about any of this. It was all so new is also interesting. And I'm really glad I took that course because now I'm here. Yeah. Um, we will go to our closing question now. So if you could implement any initiative to increase diversity, equity, and inclusion in STEM, what would it be and why? And we'll go with David. Perfect. So I, I did put some thought into this and I realized that with the kind of concept of hard sciences and soft sciences and such. Um, I, in my undergrad, I did study under the School of Interdisciplinary Sciences. And that being said, I think it would be fantastic if across STEM, we actually do implement more sociology courses because we tend to think of science through the experimental lens. Um, we don't really think about how it impacts the world beyond scientific advancement. We want to go publish these papers, but we don't really sit down and think, okay, well, what would this do to impact just a general person who exists? Like, um, like it's been mentioned here before. I mean, if we do mining work in indigenous communities, how does the mining affect and impact the indigenous community beyond just resource acquisition? And so understanding how our work actually impacts the world at large and creating these resources for us to communicate and understand the place of science within the community. We can also get the tools to communicate the science to a general population. And by creating a dialogue, we're also inviting non-scientists into this world, into this field. 
And that way we can create more sustainable and more accessible science for everyone. And that's the main kind of goal here. Science, like Sophia said, should not just be for a specific group of people. It should be for everyone and allowing for people to understand the role of science in the world and the world with science, how they go hand in hand from the beginning, from the, you know, the education aspect, it allows us to create a more holistic and a more accessible viewpoint. So it's more sociology and science. Yeah, that's really amazing. I love that point. Um, so I think one of the things as academics is that it's pretty difficult to, I guess, um, communicate science in a way that the general public would understand it. Like, for example, I'm somebody who doesn't have um, a lot of geoscience knowledge, I guess, but that's really important that we do um, make science um, readily accessible to to the general public. Anyone that's actually, else? That's okay. actually, uh, David makes a great point uh, of, you know, uh, using science and how it impacts a person. Um, and one of the, one of the articles actually, uh, yeah, the, the nature article, I believe, uh, addresses, um, or they, they give the given idea of why don't we have um, fellowships or um, uh, scholarships for students who want to promote uh, outreach or community um, outreach or devote their time to community outreach. And this could be something that where they use the science and they see how it's imp impacting um, their community. And if you think about it, we have a lot of international students. Um, Canadian mining is uh, all around the world or Canadian, uh, there are Canadian companies that have operations all around the world in, in South America, in Asia, in Africa. So if there is a student who is in our program, for example, and they want to promote or they want to take their knowledge back to their community, uh, whether it be in Canada or uh, internationally, um, if we had a fellowship or some sort of scholarship to help them promote this, uh, or to acknowledge and recognize their work, this would be this would be a great initiative. So, so maybe David, you can start initiating this <laughs> scholarship. <laughs> yeah, I think these are great ideas, and I I really echo what David and Tasca have put forward. Um, I love the idea of having like a required sociology or interdisciplinary course to bridge the gap between the human side of what we're doing and the science side. Um, to take that a step further, I think implicit bias training should also be required for faculty and students currently in the department, because although we've taken a lot of strides to improving diversity and equity in the department, especially towards um, the gender side of things, there's still a long way to go. I mean, I just wanna highlight in the Bernard Nature paper, um, I think they found in the United States over the past 40 years, 40 years, four decades, only 20, 20 Native American women and 69 Black women have earned degrees in geosciences. That's crazy. We need to be doing more. That's, that's insane. So I, I also wanted to highlight, I think there was the concept of a leaky pipeline was also introduced in this paper, whereby as you go up through the hierarchy of academia from your undergrad to a faculty position, you lose a lot of these minority groups. And in my experience, one of the main barriers to this is funding, financial support. I like coming from my experience, I am extremely privileged because through this pipeline, I've had support from both my parents and from my partner who has a full-time job. There are very few people who have that privilege that I have. And I am only here because I have financial support. Many people, especially from minority backgrounds, do not have this support. So if you're going to choose between, you know, paying rent and having a meal or contributing to science, you're obviously going to choose paying rent and having that meal. So I think a great place to start is introducing bursaries and scholarships and fellowships for people who don't have this financial privilege, because that's an immense barrier to science right now. Um, one other point that I would suggest is having support and mentorship groups implemented, as well as mental health support. 
Um, again, to touch on the on the fact that there's a lot of people entering science that don't see people in higher positions that look like them. There should be groups put in place, especially supporting mental health and you know diverse cultures that support people on their journey through academia. So those are the three points I would I would suggest: funding, implicit bias training, as well as support systems in place. Yeah, those are all really great points, everybody. Um, I'm really glad that you guys all had thought about this and had um, brought forward your your thoughts. I hope that they they do get implemented someday because I, I think that that would be um, a really great step forward to increase DEI in the geosciences. So for the upcoming International Women's Day on March 8th, 2022, um, we would like to celebrate all women, especially women in STEM, with a poem by the Kenyan poet, um, playwriter, and activist, Shaja Patel, as our ending quote. Um, it goes, read women, cite women, credit women, teach women, publish women, present women, acknowledge women, award women, amplify women, hire women, support women, promote women, hear women, believe women, follow women, pay women, pay women, pay women. And a quick bio of Ms. Patel. Uh, Ms. Patel was born in Nairobi, Kenya, and has lived in London and Berkeley. She is a political activist, namely advocating for social justice issues through her written essays, poetry, and performing art pieces. Um, with that being said, I wanted to thank you to all of our guests um, for your time and having this great conversation today. Um, DEI is an important topic and sometimes it can be taboo. So it's really great that we had this talk today. And also thank you to all of our listeners as well. We hope you tune into our next episode. Um, until then, leave no stone unturned. <laughs>